It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each and every week, we talk about sports topics of local interest, occasionally a national topic thrown in during gambling season, as we like to call it, which is football season, and maybe even approaching the NCAA tournament. We'll get some more gambling talk when we get to that as well. And a segment on the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to Twitter, hit up the hashtag, ask anything. Rick collects them, you ask them, I answer them to the best of my ability. It does not have to be sports. In fact, we kind of prefer when it's not sports, but we'll answer a sports question too. Rick, it is uh, neck deep in college basketball tournament week. You've already seen a team clinch a conference championship in NKU. Uh, as of this podcast, so we, as we broadcast it, as we do it, uh, UC is yet to play. Kentucky's yet to play. Um, Xavier's yet to play. They're playing tonight as we're doing this on a Thursday. So we are going to talk about all the conference terms. We kind of caught it at perfect time. We got NKU with their win, and we got the major locals getting ready to get into theirs. Well, it is. It's weird because it's the best time of the year from a sports landscape perspective, in my opinion. But it's also kind of hard to talk about because you're right on the verge of everything about to happen. And it's like you could talk about all this and by tonight it could be different. You know, so it's like it's difficult sometimes to do a weekly podcast during this time of the year, but we'll do our best nonetheless. And we will start with Marquez Warwick had 18 points. Sam Vinson with 16. NKU beats Cleveland State 63-61 in a game that was back and forth the whole way. If if you're an outsider who was just watching this game on ESPN, it might have been ugly because there wasn't a lot of offense, but it was exciting the entire time. And it felt like every possession had a lot riding on it. NKU wins the Horizon League Tournament Championship for the fourth time in their seventh year of NCAA tournament eligibility. Skinny, what do you make of this impressive consistency by the Norse when it comes to winning in March? Yeah, so I did a segment on ESPN 1530 with our friend Chad Brendel yesterday, and he, he kind of asked me that similar question of, A, how surprised am I that NKU's had this sustained success, and what do you attribute it to? And I told him, yeah, I was surprised. I am surprised. Um, and then at the same time, I'm not, and I'll, and I'll give you the reason for that in a moment. I mean, to jump from D2 into D1 and, and quickly have the success that they've had is, is really quite phenomenal, to be quite frankly. To be quite frank, rather. But I said, you know, they've gotten a little, a little, I said, Lucky's not the right term, and I never used the right term yesterday. I think they've gotten a little fortunate, Rick, that they've had a couple of homegrown stars in Drew McDonald initially, in Sam Vincent, and Marquez work from Lexington not too far away. Jalen Tate was not from too far away, probably further than those guys, obviously. So I don't want to use the word lucky's not the right word. I think fortunate's the right word that they've had guys that are very good at that specific level and probably even maybe a notch above it that it makes them so good at that level. And, and I'm not so sure that was the case when NKU was Division Two. There wasn't just a lot. Of, you were either a major Division One guy in the area, or you were you were a Division Two or lesser player. And so, to me, I think it speaks to the level of basketball in Northern Kentucky and in the state, obviously, for guys that can play at this level. Um, and they've been able to land some of those guys. And I, I was really, after he asked me that question yesterday, I was really interested on the podcast to get your take on it because that's mine. Is they've Again, lucky's not the right term. That's not fair. Fortunate's the right term that they've had some of these stars so close by that chose then to go to NKU. I see your point on that. Here's where I would push back. Go to any Division I team in the country, and there are players like that in their region. It may not be as close as Sam Vincent in Fort Thomas going to Highland Heights. That is obviously absurdly close. But the whole Andrew point... McDonald. Adrian McDonald's very close as well, but I mean, again, there are players like that 
for every Division One team out there. The whole point of being a Division One coaching staff is identifying them, realizing, yeah, they're not oh, a high sure. major player, but they can play at our level. Because there were a lot of people that didn't think Drew McDonald was a Division One level player when he was at Newcastle. There no, are right. honestly same thing with Sam Vincent to some extent. He wasn't overwhelmingly recruited at that level either. So part of it is identifying those players, and that's where I would say they've had a couple of really great coaching staffs that have figured that out. And then the yeah, other that's part the, of it is that's landing part those guys. Sure. You have yeah. to land them too. Yeah, that's the other part that we talked about is they've hit two home run hires here. Um, while we should, yeah, I want to, I want to give an homage to Dave Beasold, um, who was the one that recruited Drew McDonald, but then John Brandon was a really good fit and Darren Horn, while he didn't have success at South Carolina and few coaches had, he had success at Western Kentucky. And so he's had success as a division one head coach. He was coming from a good program in Texas and he's a great coach, um, at this level. You know, I don't know if he wants to take another big swing at it, if he's going to get another big swing at it, where that swing might come from. But at this level, he's he's done an outstanding job. He's an outstanding coach. Yeah, that, that part can't be glossed over either. And that's the one thing that I don't know if fans really understand. Because ever since they've been Division One, essentially, I mean, you obviously have that difficult transition period that Dave Beasel was able to navigate and get them through, and that was tough. But then back-to-back coaching hires by Ken Botoff were home runs. You could have very easily become Green Bay. There's nothing about Highland Heights, Kentucky that makes it special and more set up for Division I basketball success than many of the other Horizon League teams, which are all in pretty big cities for the most part. Like, you know, IUPUI is in Indianapolis. There is an incredible amount of basketball talent in Indianapolis and guys that start in that area, go to a high major school and then look for somewhere else to transfer back to. And guess where they don't ever choose? IUPUI. So for NKU to carve this niche out in this area and do the things that they've done. Yes. They're like you said, there's some fortune in there that there are some guys in this area that they've been able to identify and find and, and get to commit. But this doesn't happen unless you have two big time coaching hires and Ken Butoff knocked it out of the park with both of them. And when you look back at both hires, they were tight lipped, kept close to the vest. No one knew who to expect in either scenario uh, right up until the moment it was announced. I mean, he really did this on his own and did a great job of making both of those hires. And I just think too many fans think, well, this is easy. I mean, you, this is just how it works when you go to division one, you, you go to the NCAA tournament every couple of years as a mid-major team. And for a lot of programs, that's not the case. They go decades without experience in NCAA tournament. No, especially in a one bid league, for goodness sakes. I mean, that's literally, that's it. There's one bid. I mean, that's, you know, you can have a great season and, and they've had a couple, um, you know, where they weren't the ones that got the bid, but it's a one, it's a one bid league. And that, that makes it very, very difficult. And to your point on Green Bay, I'm not a big Brian Wardle fan, but obviously, you know, he goes to Bradley and got to the Missouri Valley Conference Championship this year. And you're right. They've not replaced him adequately since he's been gone. And you look at a lot of schools in this league in the, in the run of NKU, you know, Oakland, I thought was going to be one that would, kind of dominate this league because they were kind of upper echelon when NKU came into it. And, and even though they've had the same coach for a thousand years, um, you know, they've kind of now settled to the middle of the pack. I mean, the only other team I can think of that's been consistently successful in NKU's tenure is Wright State. And even this year, they kind of hit a little bit of a lull. Yeah, I mean, Wright State has had their down years. That's the thing. NKU hasn't had a down year. In the seven years that they've been eligible for the tournament, 
Five of them, they've gone to a postseason tournament for or qualified at least. You had the 2020 year where there weren't any, but right. you had four NCAA tournaments where you you won the Horizon League championship, and then you have the one regular season championship where you didn't win and you went to the NIT and you lost to Louisville. And then in addition, a sixth year where you were in the championship game and you had a 16-point lead in the second half. You end up losing by one. I mean, that very well could have been five Horizon League championships yeah, in seven point. years. And, I mean, the one year where we're not talking about right now was Horn's second year where Marquez Work was a freshman and they were basically in rebuild mode. And that year they got to the semifinals of the Horizon League, still made it to Indianapolis and and still were within striking distance by the end of the year once again. I mean, the, the consistency there is just incredible. And here's the, the other part of it, Skinny. It's not like NKU – it has an overwhelming amount of talent compared to the other teams in this league. You watched this conference a lot this year. and We talked all year about how the top six or seven teams in this conference all feel about the same. Anybody can beat anybody on any given night. It's not like NKU just has three or four guys that are so much more talented than some of the other teams in this league. So for them to continually find ways to win in March when it counts the most, you have to point to something more than just having players and being in the right place. Like they have some really good coaches. Yeah. No, I mean, they, they had a really rough stretch to end the season. We were questioning them after that back-to-back um, the, the Youngstown, it was Milwaukee. Lost Youngstown state and right state back-to-back oh, right state. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right state back-to-back yeah. where they just got clobbered. And their only other loss after that was a, was a tough one pointer at Cleveland state. And obviously they got to the championship game. Other than that, down the stretch for the last two or so weeks, they hit their stride perfectly at the right time. I, whether that's by design or whether that's just kind of the things worked out, it, it's it's what they did. So now we look to Selection Sunday for NKU. They've got another chance to go to the tournament here. I know a lot of fans are like, well, wh- how do you assess what type of seed NKU is going to get at this point? And if you look at bracket matrix, most of the bracket projections have been updated at this point. I think 89 out of the hundred or so that report to bracket matrix have updated to include NKU out of those 89, 12 of them have NKU as a 15 seed. All the others have them as a 16 seed. Uh, The aggregate bracket has them as the top 16 seed right now. So basically what we're talking about is you probably need one more upset in one of the conference tournaments to where a team that's worse than NKU unexpectedly wins their conference championship and bumps NKU up one more spot on that S-curve to where they could potentially be a 15 seed. The other thing to look at here is NKU does have that early season win over Cincinnati, which is going to be a better win, a a more quality win than almost any of the other teams on the 16 and 15 seed line. So that could give them an extra little boost from the committee if it really comes down to splitting hairs there between who should be the, the top 16 or who should be the last 15 seed. Yeah, I'll ask you this just as because as, full disclosure for those that don't know, and hopefully everybody who does know you are the color analyst for NKU broadcasts on radio. Um, would you would you like them to play? And they're not going to. Would you like them to play in the play in game just to maybe get an extra game out of all of this? You know, I've changed my stance on that question. I used to say no, because right. to me, it felt like if you don't make it to Thursday or Friday, you weren't really in the tournament. 
but you everyone, were, and I get your point. Everyone's forgotten what happened on Tuesday night by the time Thursday rolls around, and they're actually talking about their brackets and they're filling out. I mean, I know a lot of people don't even fill in those play-in games on their bracket. It's just like, right. and not that I care about brackets, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't have the same feel if you're not playing on Thursday or Friday. But at the same time, I have come to appreciate the idea of, well, if you got the chance to win an NCAA tournament game played on Tuesday, plus you're the only show in the country there on yes. Tuesday night as one of those first four games, everyone is paying attention to you. you and, get, your, and your fan base can travel. Your fan base can go up to Dayton and see you play. You get a two-hour commercial on national TV where everyone is going to be tuned in. And you also have that opportunity to win a game and then play again on Thursday or Friday too. I think I would take that chance if it was offered now, but it's pretty clear already based on the automatic qualifiers right. that are already in that NKU will not be in a play. No, agreed. Yeah, and I, yeah, I just brought that up just wondering what your thought was on that. But yes, it does not appear they will be yeah. one, of the, one of the play-in teams. I assume you would take the ladder as well. You would like to play a play-in game if you were 16? Yeah, I think so. Honestly, I think so. A, um, you know, the chance to play as close to home as I as I can. Um, it still is the NCAA tournament, a chance that literally you're right, win a game. And you're also right. You are a two hour commercial. That's part of what the reason to go division one was to, to again, to expand your horizons, if you will, no pun intended, um, expand your reach. And so, yeah, I, I think if, if I'm going to be a 16, I'd rather not be, but if I was going to be, I'd, I'd say, you know what, I'll take the playing game. I'm good with that. All right, Skeen, looking at some of the other local teams that are going to be playing the rest of this weekend in their respective conference tournaments. We are recording this on Thursday morning. So tonight, Xavier will be in action. They're going to play DePaul. DePaul won in a crazy first-round game over Seton Hall that came down to a, a last play, a controversial goaltending call, and a goaltend that was called on the floor and then reversed upon replay reviews. So anyway, Xavier gets... DePaul, the 10 seed who upset Seton Hall tonight on Thursday night. And then uh, Cincinnati will play their first game against Temple on Friday in the American Athletic Conference Tournament. And then Kentucky later on Friday night will play their first game in the SEC Tournament. And they will play the winner of either Vanderbilt or LSU. So that's what we have lined up coming up this weekend. Skinny, I ask you, maybe for each team, is there a game that you're you're looking at or a matchup that you're anticipating and, and looking forward to watching here? Um, no, but I'm going to go through each one of them individually real quick. And, and let's start with, let's start with UC because we know what they have to do. They have to win the whole thing to get in the NCAA tournament, Rick. And I think we said this last, you know, you're going to have to be Houston, the semis, and then either Tulane or Memphis in the finals. And who knows the energy you'd have to expend to beat Houston. I, I just, I have a hard time seeing it. How about you? I, I don't see a way in which they win all three of those games. And quite honestly, I can't really see them beating Houston either, even though they kept well, it yeah, close during the regular yeah. season. But that Temple first round game actually should be a really good, yes. yeah. uh, you know, early round conference tournament game. They went to overtime and in, in one game against Temple this year, beat them in overtime, and then they lost the other game to Temple. So um, I think that's going to be one of the more exciting local first round matchups, even though there's not really anything riding on that game for either team, other than just the chance to make it to the championship game, really. Yeah. For, for Xavier, I'm going to ask you this. Um, if they beat the Paul, and I think they will, but if they beat the Paul, do you see any way they would slide off the four line? And then I'll ask you the next question after that. You mean like move up into three seed? <laughs> well, territory? that's what I was going to ask you. Not, I was going to say, if they, I, I'm sorry. If they lose to DePaul, you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. I, I phrased that incorrectly. If they lose to DePaul. Now, they are, according to Bracket Matrix, and I think 
it's done a really good job over the years to where we feel pretty confident about agreed. their S-curve yeah, lines and all of that. Xavier is the top four seed now, according to that. So they would have right. to drop multiple spots to get off that seed line. I don't know if one more quad three loss to DePaul would do that to them, but they do have a couple of quad three losses late in the season, including an earlier loss to DePaul. They add another one here, and you add in the fact that Zach Fremantle is not coming back now, and we know that, so it's not like they'll they'll look at those losses easier on Xavier and and, and take that into account. I think they will probably stay on the four line even with a loss, but there is the potential that another quad three loss to DePaul on a neutral floor could slide them down to a five. All right, so then let's play this out. Let's play them beating DePaul, and that would solidify a four seed for sure. Yes. Um, that then takes you into the semi against either Creighton or, or Villanova, and then potential of a final. Let's say they sweep this and win it. Do they flip-flop spots with Marquette? Do both Marquette and them stay on the three line? I Tennessee's the one to me that I'm still puzzled on the three line, to be honest with you. And I and and not obviously, but, but uh they're the ones that, that puzzle me as Tennessee to be on that on that line. Um would it take winning this to get to the three line or or a win over a Creighton in the semis to get to the three line? No, I think Xavier has to win it all to really be in that conversation. And then even then, I'm not entirely sure that's enough to get them to that three seed line. Just just because when you look at the other teams that we're talking about, like UConn, Xavier did beat twice during the regular season. So I think there's a legitimate case that can definitely be made there. But even with yes. UConn, you look at their predictive metrics, the Ken Palm, the net, much higher than Xavier's. Same thing with Tennessee. I think that's one of the things saving Tennessee is that they have those really good predictive <laughs> metrics. Ken Palm loves them. They're top five there. So I'm not sure that Xavier can pass any of those teams just because when you look at the the basic numbers, those predictive metrics, the the quad three losses that Xavier has and those other teams don't have, I think they might just stay where they're at even if Xavier runs all the way through the Big East tournament. But without Xavier winning the Big East championship, I don't think there's any way they can move up off the four line. All right, so I'm going to play this out now that the Fremantle news has come down and and you've you've and Chad asked me this question, too, of what what do I think Xavier's ceiling is without Fremantle? And I said, I think we've seen it, that they're still really good and can beat anybody. Um, and especially when you're talking, you know, I, I and as you know, I worry about the, the depth in the bench down the stretch of the regular season just because it starts to pile up, in my opinion. Once you get to the NCAA tournament. TV timeouts are a little longer. You're talking a two-game window in a, in a week period. I know it's only a day apart, but it's it's literally two games in a week, um, a day apart, and, and you can survive a short bench there. Would it behoove them to make the run through the Big East tournament and put more wear and tear on legs? You know, everyone's asking that this time of year, and the, the view I have on it is... Especially if it doesn't make a difference. I guess that's my question. Especially if we don't think it makes much of a difference. And that's where I come out on whether or not you make a run or not to. I just don't think it matters. I think we've seen teams lose early and then have a really good run in the NCAA tournament. We've seen teams win their conference tournament, and then the narrative becomes, look at this momentum they carried into the NCAA tournament right. when they went on the run. There's anecdotes for either side yeah. of the argument. Yeah. I just don't really think it matters. I think it's a team-by-team by basis in terms of how much that impacts them. With Xavier, maybe you worry about it a little bit more because of their lack of depth, but I also think with a team and a core group who has struggled at this time of year to win games when it matters. And each of the last few years, they've lost to a Butler or a DePaul to end their season in the Big East tournament. 
I think they'd love to just see one go down, get that win over DePaul, at right. least advance to the semifinals. Hopefully you get to the championship game and then you're you're really playing with house money at that point. I, I think that's more the mindset I would have as a Xavier fan is I want to win at least one and I would love to win two games to get into that championship game and, and just have some positive vibes going into the NCAA tournament more than anything. And I think as far as Zach Fremantle being out, the biggest thing for me and the way I would look at it is originally if Zach is there, I would have looked for any matchup where teams rely on their post because Xavier struggles. If you've got a really dynamic scoring guard that Sule boom has to guard, that becomes a problem. Guarding ball screens becomes a problem for them. But if you want to play through a big man, that was Xavier's strength earlier than the year. They have size and they have multiple guys that they can play and rotate in and out to where they're really not too worried about foul trouble or anything like that. Now, all of a sudden, if you have a good big man that you're trying to pound it into and Jack Nungy gets two early fouls in a game, Xavier's not winning that game for the most part. I mean, they, they'd really need a miracle to, to win an NCAA tournament game without Jack Nungy on the floor for 30 minutes. So I think that's the biggest concern is, it's going to be so matchup dependent for Xavier when they get into the NCAA tournament. And now one of your more favorable matchups is more concerning because if a team has a good big man, you're going to be really worried about Jack Nungy's fouls. Hello. If you're a four seed playing a one seed Purdue, right? See, that's the exact point. Purdue would have been, I think a really good matchup for Xavier a couple months ago. Now you look at it and you're like, man, if Jack Nungy gets an early one trying to tip out an entry pass or something against Edie, you're screwed. Yeah, no, good, good, good point. Um, all right, let's move to Kentucky. And and honestly, I, I'm not so sure that things couldn't have shaken out better for them with the crazy win over Arkansas without a point guard. And and, and what a great performance by Antonio Reeves and Jacob Toppin, in my opinion. I mean, I thought that Jacob Toppin was great. I think they get a really favorable draw in the tournament. You're going to play probably Vandy in, in, in the quarterfinal round and you owe them after they beat you on senior night. Um, and then a Texas A&M team, if seeds hold in the semifinals where Bama and Tennessee are on the other and Missouri even are on the other side of the bracket. Um, I, I, I'm not so sure you couldn't have gotten a better draw. The question then is how many wins does it take for Kentucky to get to the five seed line, Rick, and would have quarterfinal round loss, knock them down a peg, two pegs or not at all, because it looks like really the Arkansas win offset the Vandy loss. And I think on bracket matrix, when I look, today and it may have changed as the days progressed i think they were the number two six seed if i'm not mistaken i don't know i mean maybe a loss to vanderbilt another loss to vanderbilt would knock them down to that seven seed line but for the most part i think we're talking about upside when it comes to kentucky and and what they're doing in the sec tournament because if you're right if they win over vanderbilt and then you get a win over texas a&m i think you already start talking about potentially kentucky is flirting with one of those last five seeds and they win the entire sec tournament. I think we really have a conversation about Kentucky potentially being a five. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know that it's likely that Kentucky ends up a five because there are right now, there are probably as many bracketologists that think they're a seven as there are that think yeah. they're a five, but I don't but, think anybody has them below a seven. Do they? I think that's the lowest they have them. I think for the most part, that's right. I haven't yeah. gone through all of them over the last day or two, but if, if anyone has them as an eight at this point, it's, one or two people right. it's few and far between because they have such a such a high average there in uh in the six is 6.2 is their average seed positioning right now so i think that that kentucky is likely to be a six but there is a much better chance they end up a five in my opinion than they end up a seven 
It's crazy. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? We were talking maybe first four in Dayton, maybe not even in what four weeks ago. Yeah. Well, and the, the funny thing about Kentucky is I don't, I don't think it matters at all who they play right now because there is no rhyme or reason. No, it's about them. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's it really, is all it's about, about them. them. And yeah. when they play well, they can beat anybody that they play against. No, I, I think that's exactly right. Exactly. Well said. Skinny, anything else that you want to hit on here from a college basketball or conference tournament perspective before we move on? No, but I, I, I'm such a junkie. I've been watching it since yesterday. <laughs> since noon. I, I watched the ACC early games. I watch, uh, I, I'm watching right now as we're recording this on USA Network. I'm watching the Atlantic 10 quarterfinals. I'll flip around later on today. I woke up at one o'clock in the morning, just woke up and flipping through it. I watched the end of the, the Pac-12 game between uh, the, the late night game with Arizona State pulling out a win over Oregon State to kind of keep their hopes alive because they're on the bubble. I think that ended at 2.15 in the morning. Yep. So really, if you are a junkie, and I'm not much in the regular season other than the locals and a big game here and there, but I love any tournament, anything in sports, just because of the, the stakes, especially for teams that are trying to fight their way into the tournament. Well, I'm the same way. I was watching the Big Sky Championship game. What, at what like was it on? I didn't see what was what was that on. Uh, I can't remember what station I was. Just, I had like four different ones on throughout the night, flipping between them all, and and had different ones on different screens. But Northern Arizona was playing for a chance to reach the NCAA tournament and they have like 22 losses. So had they won NKU definitely would have been bumped up on the S curve. Yep. They would have yep. fallen behind them. So that was one that would have been great. Unfortunately, they, they ended up losing, but it was a pretty good game. There have been some great games already in some of these conference uh, tournaments uh, conference USA had a couple of good finishes on, on day one. And the big East game that I talked about earlier between Seton yep. Hall and DePaul was a wild finish. So it's already been great. And the next two days are basically the best days of the year for college basketball. Let me, let me ask you about the end of that game. Cause I, I do think they got it right, but yep. should that be reviewable? Yes. It, I think that's exactly what, what should be really? reviewable. I, don't I think that's that. the exact type of play that you need review on because how could you pot even after seeing the review two or three times, I'm still like, I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure how you view that play right there. Cause the ball wasn't over the cylinder when he started to block it. No, that's what correct. you can see clearly on replay, but as he's like swiping it, he's swiping it right over the over top the, and yeah. his hand is, on the ball over top of yeah. the cylinder. So that kind of made it look really murky in real time when you're trying to assess that happening with uh, like 0.2 seconds left on the clock or whatever it was. So um, I, I'm, I'm not surprised they got it wrong in real time. And I do like that they were able to go back and fix that because without frame by frame replay, I don't know how you could have possibly assessed that accurately. Lastly, Rick, I, I got to ask you this because I was I watched I went to the ninth region high school championship game on Tuesday night at Truist Arena NKU's home. And they had uh, I was up in a box um, and with with some coaches and they had the NKU game on. So when it was over, just to let the traffic go, I stayed to watch the end. And at 6358, I felt comfortable enough to get out of my seat and leave. By the time I got into my car, you you and Jim Kelch are talking about all they got to do is touch it and that, that'll, that'll do it. And I think, wait a minute, what what the heck just happened here? So wh what happened? Did they miss free? What happened down the stretch there? Well, they they gave up on one of their defensive possessions with maybe about like 40 ish seconds left. They just let a guy go right down the middle of the lane for a layup. It took them like two or three seconds on their possession. Do it. It's like, hold on, guys, we're not fouling, but we're not just giving them layups either. Like right. there's still enough time left. We need to get a stop or two here. So I think that was part of it. They let them score too quickly. Then Marquez Warwick sunk like four or five free throws in a row towards the end, but then missed the front end of a one and one. And then they came down and hit a three 
with that like 0.2 seconds left. And that's what, of course, if you were uh, betting on the Norse handle at minus um, two and well, a half, that, that cost you dearly. Well, so uh, me and some friends put some money in a pot each week, each month, and we play a contest called contest.covers.com, and they have a streak survivor where you make one pick against the spread each day. I am uh, seven and one for the month, Rick, through eight games, eight days. Guess what my loser was? I'm going to guess NKU minus two and a half. NKU minus two and a half. And I walked away at five feeling pretty good. because ah, they'll, they'll make a couple free throws. That'll do it. I'm I was glad also, they won. Though. I was also made aware that Marquez Warwick's over for points was 19. And he had 18 when he missed the front end of that one. And oh, one. wow. So That's a couple right. bad beats for NKU backers. But if you're an NKU fan, it doesn't get any better That's than correct. seeing the clock at zeros and knowing you're going to the dance. My daughter, who's a grad, she and her uh, her husband drove up for the game and, and had a great time. So it was a good crowd. It looked like it. Yeah, it which did. was surprising because the home game last Thursday in the quarterfinals was a terrible crowd. And then you get to Indianapolis and all of a sudden the fans show up. Like Darren Horn made the comment yesterday, I think when he was on with Lance, he's like, I'm starting to worry that people think this is like expected. Like we're just going to be here every year though. We'll, we'll just wait for the quarterfinals game. We don't need to go to that. They'll win that. Yeah, I get it. But I also think when, when there is an NCAA tournament bit on the line and the drive is only an hour and 20 minutes, you're probably, if you're a fan, that's the drive you're going to make. Right. I got you. But it, I mean, the drive to truest arena is only five minutes for most people that follow NKU. So why would you not yeah, go to a quarterfinals game? You got to win I'm that the, one to get there. I'm, I'm noting you, but I think it's all about the stakes and what the stakes mean. And that was a stake to get in the NCAA tournament. Fair enough. But I mean, you got to win the got to win the first I'm, ones first. I don't I'm know. I mean, you. I'm seems, noting you. Seems like a good opportunity if you're a fan to go watch some good basketball. But uh, fair enough. Anyway, uh, well, let's move on. Bengals talk here. You posted the first in a three part series regarding the Bengals heading into the offseason with five moves or non moves. The team should make on offense and you're going to write about five moves or non-moves the team should make on defense. And then finally, a free agency primer on Friday with the legal tampering period beginning on Monday and free agents allowed to sign beginning at 4 p.m. on March 15th. So Skinny, they can check that column out on local12.com. The first part is already up. You're going to post the next two later this week. Let me start here. Which move or non-move? Are you most confident that we'll see out of those five you posted on the offensive side? Well, for I, Joe Mixon being let go, I, I it, and it, it has nothing to do with whatever took place earlier this week at his house. It has nothing to take place with still the pending investigation, although that could factor in at some point. It literally just has comes down to dollars and cents, Rick. I mean, uh, you, you just you you can't afford if you're going to try to extend Joe Burrow and looking to extend T Higgins and looking to save money to then extend Jamar Chase and Logan Wilson and try to retain a couple of your own on defense where one of my five on defense I've written a little bit of it as, before we did the podcast I'm going to finish it when we're done was I think it's imperative that you sign Von Bell you can't let both safeties walk and it just comes down to you can't pay for everybody in fact Knowing what their cap space is, and it's nowhere near the 35 mil that's posted, it's probably around 20 mil because they take a lot of other things into consideration. They hold money back for injuries. In case they got to sign players, they, they the, the, the salary cap that we see doesn't include, you got to pay for practice squad, doesn't include what the draft picks are going to cost. So there's other costs that go into it, but they've got money to spend, but they also need to save some money as well. And that to me is a no-brainer position to save money at. Resign some Ajay P. Ryan, which is part of what I wrote, at three to four mil, you still got Chris Evans on the roster, and you got so many running backs in this draft class. I think you can get a really good one, or at least a serviceable one, in in round four of the draft on the first. You know, maybe if you want to go earlier, go the third round. Well, I think there's there's other things they need to do, but that to me is that just seems like the easiest one of all, to be quite frank. 
What about least confident? That's a good one. Um, I, I, one of the ones was obviously drafting a wide receiver in one of the first few rounds because you need to get somebody in the pipeline for Tyler Boyd. I like that one a lot. I like the, the letting Lyle Collins one go. I, I guess I'll say that's the one I'm least confident in, at least right away. Um, I think it depends on what can they do in free agency. Is there enough money left over to go get a serviceable right tackle that you feel is better than Lyle Collins or drafting a guy and going to camp and seeing it? Because, you know, don't forget, Lyle's not going to be ready for camp. He's probably not going to be ready for the start of the season. Does that mean you completely give up on him? My opinion is yes. I'd go ahead and do the injury settlement and move on from it. He wasn't great during the season. He wasn't horrifying. But to me, I, I and you can save another six to seven mil there. But I guess I'm least confident in that happening. The other one, I, I guess, and maybe I should, I'm, I'm waffling between that one and the, and the re-signing of Hayden Hurst, too. I, I still think that you can get Hayden Hurst back at, at a reasonable price. I'll, I'll go the I'll go the Hayden Hurst one's the one I'm least confident in. I wish I wasn't. Which one do you personally find most intriguing? Is there a move where, regardless of what the Bengals think, you're just like, this is what I think they should be doing? Uh, the tackle position, the offensive tackle position, because it, it is intriguing because, you know, Lyle's coming off the knee and, you know, Jonah Williams only has one, you know, he's only going to be on contract for 2023s that, that, you know, do they extend him beyond that? I don't think they do unless they, until they see what he does. So then at the tackle position, do you, do you draft heavy at that spot and, and throw a bunch of darts at the board and hope, or do you go out and get a veteran? Do you believe that Jackson Carmen's the long-term left tackle answer and you can flip Jonah to right tackle for a year? That to me is the most intriguing one because I don't know how that puzzle is going to end up shaking out. And I don't think they do either. I'm not trying to insinuate that you're going to hit a hundred percent on free agents either, because you just saw with Lyle Collins that that's not necessarily the case. Although I think overall he was an upgrade at the no position, question. No question. but it's not a guarantee that it's going to work out or the guy is going to be great. But don't you think we're past the point with the Bengals right now where they're not going to have the patience to draft young guys at those positions and have them be these wild cards because you've pointed out multiple times now, it's just such a crapshoot when you're drafting college offensive linemen. That's not to say they can't make an early impact, but you just have no idea which ones are going to initially. And at this point with Joe Burrow being where he's at in his career and you being in this window where he's on that first contract still, do you not just have to go basically find ready-made products for the offensive line at this point? Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, but it also did Jackson do enough to, to show that he's a ready-made product? I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I know that, that his offensive line coach liked his performance. I know Zach Taylor liked his performance, although he admitted it's a small sample size. Um, but I'm kind of with you. I do think you do have to at least take a tackle before the fourth round to keep another body in the pipeline, if not a couple of tackles. I think you need the, the more bodies in the pipeline, the better. They've tried this. It hasn't really worked out. I mean, Deontay Smith was, was you know, picked in a year where they took uh, another lineman and, and uh, you know, Akeem Adeniji was taken. And I think they've tried to throw some of these bodies in. And let's face it, you know, right or wrong, Hakeem started at right tackle in the AFC championship game. In fact, he started in the last two AFC championship games. So I think they've done a good job of, of expending draft capital in those mid rounds. You know, you got Cordell Volson to stick as a starter, as a, as a fourth round selection. I think that's the sweet spot. I don't think you go early in the draft. I just, you can't blow a first and second round pick on a tackle that, that you're really just hoping on. I think that's right. And I think the other part of that too is 
you can live with drafting guys that you're not relying on to be the solution to your problems. Like if you're like you said, if you're just getting a guy to be in the pipeline and let's hope we can get him in the mix and in the next two or three years, he's going to be productive for us. That's great. If you go into an offseason saying we've got to upgrade our left tackle or our right guard and the answer is a first or second round offensive lineman to do that. I don't think that's the answer right now. I don't that's not I'm, where I'm, they're I'm, at. No, they, no. Two or three years ago, maybe that's where they're at. Right but now, that's not where they're at. Exactly right. Totally and, agree. And that's where I go back to. But you're going to have to free up money to do it. And that's where the Joe Mixon freeing up of money and the Lyle Collins freeing up of money. If you're ready to move on, I, I think those are just moves you have to make and then take some of those savings, which you're going to need to do some of the extension stuff with probably, but also then attack the free agent market at that position group. All right, Skinny, anything else from a Bengals perspective here? We're coming up on the free agency period, the legal tampering period beginning on Monday. The one thing that I do find fascinating is obviously the the, the, the conversations, the Joe Burrow extension and, and how is that going to be formulated and the guarantees. And I'm going to tie this to the Lamar Jackson situation. I think you're seeing NFL teams put their foot down and draw a line in the sand of we're going to guarantee some dollars. We ain't guaranteeing a lot of dollars. And I think you're seeing that they're taking that Deshaun Watson contract, all these owners and GMs and saying that's an outlier. They're idiots. None of us are going to be and don't expect us to be. And that's where I just wonder how the Joe Burrow contract gets structured. If it's a fully guaranteed or they just say, you know what, we're just going to pay you all this money up front. We're not going to worry about escrow. We're just going to get it done and pay you now and spread it out over how many ever years. Um, and that's your guarantee, man. We're not going to fully guarantee it. There's going to be some backloaded dollars to it, but we're going to give you a hefty signing bonus, a hefty roster bonus, however you want to do it, um, and and find a way to prorate that. But I think teams are literally saying, we're not giving everybody a fully guaranteed contract. We're not giving anybody a fully guaranteed contract. I think the Bengals are in that group. So if the Lamar Jackson situation is a market correction from the Deshaun Watson contract, is that helping the Bengals with Joe Burrow, you think? I don't know because then the Daniel Jones contract, while 82 of it's guaranteed, that's still the average of it's 40 mil a year. That I don't think that helps. Yeah, true. It's but going yeah, to be I, interesting to see how this all plays out. And even the Lamar Jackson situation is fascinating. It is because it seems like, honestly, nobody wants him. And, and you know that's not the that. case. Yeah, you know it's not that they don't want the player Lamar Jackson. But I do think you're right that there's, to some extent, these owners are looking at saying, we cannot let this become a regular thing in terms of the Deshaun Watson exactly. contract. No, right. I think, and I think that's exactly what it is. I think that's where we are with this. Of, yeah, we'll guarantee some of it, and rightfully so. But there's no fully guaranteed. I mean, like I said, Daniel Jones' contract is four years, 160 mil, and I think 82 of it's guaranteed, so roughly half. Well, and especially with a guy like Lamar Jackson, who the biggest concerns about him are his durability. Right. No one's going to make that decision to give him a guaranteed contract. Yeah, I'll just be fascinated to see if it winds up where he has to go back to Baltimore with his tails between his legs. And I just don't know if I, is that relationship fractured at this point. It, it feels like he's made up his mind on that. But I, I think the feelings are too hurt at this point that he will probably maybe. take a discount if he has to to move on. Yeah, maybe. All right, Skinny, let's get into some mess, Skinny, anything and wrap this one up. This is from our good buddy, Audie Elmore, who I have All to right. say, I really enjoy the show that he and Tony Pike are doing since he 360 during midday. It's something different. They're, they're not taking themselves too seriously. They're having fun with it. And he does a fantastic job every time anything positive happens for NKU. 
He just ripping on Tony and Mo, calling it Highland Heights 360. He does an awesome job. I really enjoy Austin. But he's good. No, I, I, I do too. I think Austin does a fabulous job. He tweeted and says, Does NKU have good players or good chemistry, Skinny? <laughs> he's such a smart ass. <laughs> um, I'll go both. I, I think they do mesh well together. I think guys know their roles. I think they play their roles to the hilt. Um, and they have good players on top of it. How's that up for an answer, Rick? It's well, it's actually funny because this is a really good question for NKU's team right now. And I know he's being a smart ass to uh, referencing an inside joke with you, but yes, um, th- this is a team where you do have a guy like Marquez Warwick. And I think Sam Vincent has made his way into that kind of star role for NKU and go to score and all of that. But the reason that they've gotten so much better at the end of the year is because you have a guy like Chris Brandon who has fully bought into his role. I mean, he dominated the semifinals win against Youngstown State by scoring like seven or eight points right. because he controlled the glass, had 18 rebounds, and was so good defensively. He just bought in. He doesn't need touches on the offensive end to play super hard for 60 or 70 possessions a game. He just goes out and does his thing. And uh, you have a guy like that and then Trayvon Faulkner on the bench being a sixth man. And he only had two points, I think, in the finals, but was playing great but had, defense. He had, nine and, in the semi, though. he had nine in the semis, though, right? Yeah, and he's had some really big games down the yeah. stretch offensively, yeah. but it's just a game-to-game basis with him. It, it doesn't matter how many touches he's getting on offense or what they're asking him to do from a scoring perspective. He's playing his role in all other aspects, and that's really been a huge key to NKU's success. Well, yeah, I think he's he's made it pretty clear that he came back because he wanted to go to the NCAA tournament, right? Yeah, which is so refreshing to hear. His interview we did with him in, in the postgame show was was so cool because you know he's just talking about, this isn't about me, it was about the team. This was a guy that averaged like 15 points a game a couple of years ago, and he was on the court playing a lot of minutes as a freshman when they went to the NCAA tournament the last time with Drew McDonald and those guys like he was on those teams. So he's been around and seen it all, and he's done a little bit of everything, and now he's kind of taken a little bit more of a backseat, at least on the offensive end, so some of these younger scorers can can shine, but. I mean, it's amazing to see a guy who is that selfless in today's day and age and really understands what it means to to be a winner and do things that lead to winning for his team. So to Audie's point, I'm going to say good players, especially at that level, and really good chemistry, both. Correct. Well, Skinny, what is your favorite River City in Northern Kentucky? <laughs> oh, Ludlow. It's not even debatable. That's where I'm going to retire to. Really? My fits, I love Ludlow. My my. My, my, my grandmother, my grandmother lives right there on, on the main street, right by what used to be the Reeves Dairy Whip and is now a subway right catty corner from Ludlow High School. My, my weekends as a child, my mother and father would drop me off there on Sunday nights. We'd, I'd get up in the morning with my grandparents. We'd go to church and then we'd come back to the Reeves and come back to their house. And then my folks would come pick me up. I'm sure they were partying on a Saturday night and just dumping the kid off, which was fine. But I do. I love me some Ludlow. I don't think there's anything cooler from a high school baseball perspective than when you get that first like 65 degree day in Ludlow and half the city just walks down to watch a JV baseball game at 4 p.m. down at the river. Yeah, And you, and you can cruise by very slowly and watch a picture to yourself. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Along River Road there. Now that's I, I think I would agree with you on Ludlow, although it helped when they had the Ludlow Bromley Yacht Club. Now that it that's helped. gone, that, that takes a little bit of a... It, it does, but it's it's the perfect retirement place. I can walk to everything. Um, I can walk to a little local pub there, a little bar. I walk to the laundromat. I don't need much. I don't want much. So there we go. I, I, I've got I've got where I'm going to retire. I like that retirement plan actually. Ludlow Ludlow is a cool spot. Cool little Close city to downtown. Bellevue's become like the hipster spot. That's where everybody's moving now. 
Yeah, Bellevue. Yeah, I've just always been. I've I've said it for years that Ludlow's Ludlow's my town, man. I can appreciate that. All right, I'd like to know if Skinny has thoughts on the everyday meaningless. Hey, how are you? At the checkout line, rando calls, etc. I'm not opposed to pleasantries, but is there anything we can replace this with, or would Skinny be okay in removing it from our vernacular entirely? See, I'm kind of a hey, how are you guy too. I, I get it. I've had the occasional answer. Was I, I think we all do it, right? I mean, yeah, I, I think it's just being polite. Um, I think I told this story where after one of the Bengals preseason games, um, I got done working. It was like 1230, 1245 in the morning and right across the Clayway Bailey Bridge. It's actually closed down now. There was a there was a liquor store right by the Smith Mufflers. So I'm stopping in there to get a couple of road pops. Um, and I did the hey, how you doing? And my man literally answered, how the blank you think I'm doing? I'm working in this blank hole on a Friday night. OK, then, guy. Sorry for that. Appreciate your honesty. Well, I, I I actually really appreciate that honesty, quite to be quite frank, because normally it's like you're sitting in line for 15 minutes. You're pissed off. They hate their job. They're pissed off. You get up there and you're like, hey, how's it going? And you both lie and you just say good because you want to get on with your night. And you don't want to hold each other up any longer. So you both just lie. I kind of like that guy giving you a genuine answer. No, I, I, kind of, I said, appreciate the honesty, guy. Thanks for that. No, I'm I'm a pleasantry guy. I, I don't think there's a there's nothing wrong with that. It's just showing a little common respect. Of, I'm not looking down on you because you're checkout guy. I'm just trying to say, hey, how you doing, man? Hope everything's okay. <laughs> I, one thing one thing I want out of our vernacular. Can we please do this? By the way, since it's NCAA tournament time, if I hear one more punch their ticket, I'm going to punch their face. You don't like punch their ticket, huh? No, nope, do not like it. I, I I I'm a punch their ticket guy. I think I used that to the big dance. Shut the blank up. Well, you can't you can't call it March Madness or the NCAA tournament, right? You have to call it like fake terms or something. No, I think you can't. Just the Super Bowl. I think it's just the Super Bowl. You can't call Super Bowl the Super Bowl. You got to call it the big game. Something else. But I call it the Super Bowl. And I write when I write about the Super Bowl, like you're the Bengals. I call it Super Bowl 56. Isn't that crazy? What are they going to do? Seriously, what are they going to do to me? Come get me Super Bowl. Yeah, please. I dare you. Um, yeah, I, so I'm I'm actually I agree with this guy. Honestly, I would really like to replace it. I do it all. I walk into UDF, I get my Coke Zero, and I always say, "How are you doing? Oh, good to see you." Something like that. And honestly, I wish we didn't do that. I would I would like it if there was something different. Like we need to create a new thing that's common to walk up to someone and say, "Sup? How about that? Sup?" Hey, UDF guy, I like the I like the ice cream stains on your on your jersey there. Speaking of that, Christ Almighty. We stopped, uh, my wife and I stopped at a drive-thru the other day, and I won't slander the place, but there's a lady there, and I'm not trying to be judgmental. But you are, but go ahead. But I am. And she was, you know, 385 pounds, which is fine. Like, that's that's not the issue here. I'm not weight-shaming at all. That the, the last thing that I did. But, I mean, it's early. This is We're getting breakfast. It's early in the morning, and she's got stains all over this shirt. I mean, it is just covered the the neck the collar of the neck is like rolled over looks like she probably like slept in the shirt and i'm just thinking at her size and working all day in a fast food restaurant where it's probably not exactly cool back there in the kitchen what do you think that shirt smells like if she hasn't washed it it can't be good shout i mean to shout out to mcdonald's and latonia I, I mean i just have to say it's like what i don't have high expectations for people working in the fast food industry God bless them for being there. But 
it, it's kind of a little unsettling. It makes you not really want to eat when you kind of pull through and you see that first thing. So I think we've talked about this on the show before. You and I both like clean clothes and I love the little scent beads because yes. I like my clothes to smell fresh and clean. And I big scent bead guy, you know, like today I have to go out and rake some leaves off my patio and I guarantee you I'll only be out for 30 minutes, 45 minutes it won't take me long, but I guarantee you the pullover I will have on will smell like the outdoors very quickly. And I will quickly throw that into the, into the hamper. Um, it's not something I'm going to wear for the rest of the evening or night or, or put back on. So, yeah, I, I worked at McDonald's in Latonia. And trust me, when I came home every night from that place when I was a high schooler, my my uniform was disgusting. And thank goodness you had a second uniform. But I would get that thing laundered every day because I couldn't stand the disgustingness of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and even then, even after laundering in it, when you work in a food place, a lot of times it's still like oh, kind of smells a little bit still. Or it's just like it's ingrained in it at a certain point. Yes. I can't imagine. Yes working back-to-back shifts, and especially being a, not just a big person, but a massively overweight yeah. person. It's like, yeah. that's gotta be some serious funk going on in that thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm not sure that's going to smell so good. I mean, the, the people working around her and like, I, I was like, thank God we're in the drive-thru and not ordering inside there right now. It's like, it really, it really threw me off. I gotta be honest. Again, shout out to McDonald's and Latonia. <laughs> it, was, it was not the fine people at McDonald's and Latonia. That's where I worked. <laughs> I believe you did. You probably looked like that when you worked there. I, I was a cook. I, I didn't do any of the, I was not the drive through guy. I was a cook. Probably had the long hippie hair. Was Had all the, had the old folks coming in for early breakfast at McDonald's all pissed off at you. Oh, no. The, 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 it was the Sunday night church. You know, that church that's close to the, the what is it? It's a Cal, it's Calvary, right? What's the church that's right by there? By the Legion Hall? Uh, can't remember, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they used to. We used to close at 10 o'clock on Sundays and they'd come in invariably in droves for their hamburger and cup of coffee at 945, like 50 of them. Oh, I bet that it was not night. pleasant. It, yeah, because you, you 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 had to get everything closed down in case. And then all of a sudden here they came and all your hard work of closing, it's gone to waste because th- then then at that point, you're also a skeleton staff. It's one cook. It's one person working the register and, and the manager. And that's about it. Uh, Skinner, we're going to need 45 burgers, stat. And I always knew it. I, I was always ready for it. I, I really was. But, man, it was a pain in the ass. Yeah, I don't think it's for me. I think I've I think I've moved on past that part of my life. Well, that was 40-plus years ago. So have I. But it still gives <laughs> me the chills occasionally. Fair enough. I, it sounds like neither one of us are destined for the fast food industry unless, you know, this podcast thing doesn't work out. So hopefully you guys will download it. That's a good point, it. yeah. <laughs> good point all right that's all i got all right good stuff uh enjoy the uh, basketball we'll be back a day early next week on wednesday because that gives us a chance then to preview the ncaa tournament correct rick that's right sounds like a plan we will do that and talk some more Bengals will be actually that's uh, also kind of the first day that free agents can be signed although two days prior to that the legal tampering period you kind of find out where guys may go so we'll probably have some Bengals news to discuss as well for Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition presented by Ryan Kiefer, the first community mortgage.